Good evening, everyone. Um, I'm going to call the meeting to order. Um, this is the uh, meeting of the Community Preservation Committee at um, Wednesday, uh, uh, November 13th, 6.30 p.m. at the Medford Community Media Center. Um, this meeting, as you know, is um, for the purpose of hearing applicant presentations for the 2019 funding round. We have two um, meetings scheduled for all of the applicant presentations. This includes uh, this evening, we have about half of the applicants, and then we're going to be meeting this coming Monday, November the 18th, same time, same place, to hear the remaining applications. Um, just want to review some notes before we jump into our first um, our, our first applicants for this evening. Um, we are this meeting this evening. We're meeting at the Medford Community Media Center so that this can be recorded and broadcast across Medford for people who weren't able to be here, so that they can see what the projects are that have been proposed for for Community Preservation Act funding this year, um, and have an idea of what it is that we're making decisions about um, in, the, in the coming month. Um, the, all of the applications are available on our website, which is, yes, uh, there we go. Uh, our website, which is preservemedford.org, and um, we welcome comments and questions about these applications or about anything at any time. You can, if you are here this evening, we have some comment cards that we would welcome you writing comments if you're not comfortable um, speaking in front of everybody in the camera. Um, you can leave comments in our comment box in the corner or you can email to info at preservemedford.org. Um, and please be sure if you haven't already sometime before you leave this evening to sign in on our sign-in sheet. Leave us your name, and of course, if you speak, um, we'll ask you to give your name and address for the record. Um, so I understand that our first applicant this evening is double booked, so we want to be very cognizant of their time. And um, I'm going to um, jump right away into our first presentation. I, um, I realize that some of the people who are going to be presenting for this first presentation may want to leave as quickly as possible to get to the other event that's scheduled this evening. So I'm going to invite you to give all three, to, to have someone present about all three of the projects at once, and then we'll take questions from the committee about all three projects at once, and then any questions and comments from the public. Um, <coughs> And with that, I, um, I'd like to invite you to come up to take the podium. Thank you. Good evening, my name is Peter Cushing. I'm the uh, assistant superintendent, um, new to Medford. And so thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to speak to you tonight. Um, we're speaking to you about three playground structures and playground foundations um, that are in need of community preservation, repair, and replacement of some of those elements. Um, the first one, uh, the Brooks Elementary School, uh, opened in 2003. Um, the overall square footage of the school is about 100,000 square feet. The square footage of what we're looking for is just, I believe, under 5,000. Um, the estimated total project cost is $128,209. Our request is $122,180. 
As you can see from the pictures here and in the handout that I was able to get for some of you, um, there's substantial deterioration to the rubberized surface. Um, it really is a, a hazard, um, not only for able-bodied students, but for our disabled <laughs> students. Um, it poses an accessibility issue for those students. Um, there could be trip and fall issues. You can see here on this slide that that slide uh, has a bracket um, that either needs to be replaced or repaired depending on the condition of the welds and the joints. Um, our school district has done a lot of work to patch, to maintain. Pause yep. one moment. I just want to let our committee member. <laughs> Absolutely. Hello. Excuse me. Absolutely. This is what happens when we start promptly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm just, go ahead. So the district has really invested over the years in making sure that things are maintained, things are upkept, um, but um, 16 plus years of the use of our kindergarten through first grader, uh, kindergarten through fifth graders, as well as many community members who also use these structures um, have taken their toll. Um, the rubberized surfaces are coming close to the end of their maximum life, which is 20 years. Um, so that's why you see the substantial deterioration on, on these as well. Um, you can see the rust on this beam up top. Um, the mushrooms are also showing some wear and need repair. The full fun mirror, like a fun house mirror, uh, it needs to be replaced, as do these, I believe these are the swivel swings, um, but not having it right in front of me. So, So that's the Brooks. Both upper and lower really need some uh, repair. The upper and lower need some leveling of the rubberized surface as well as replacement. Um, and then, let's get to the Columbus so I have those numbers. So the Columbus Elementary School, once again, also opened in 2003. Um, the square footage of the area that we're asking for is 4,365 square feet. Um, the school services approximately 500 students in grades K through 5. The estimated total project cost is $113,201 um, for the rubberized surface mm -hmm. as well as uh, numerous elements. And you can see here at the base of the slide substantial deterioration, but you can also see uh, the deterioration throughout the entire rubberized surface. Once again, this is an accessibility issue for our disabled students. Um, and we really need to have these types of surfaces leveled and in good shape for those students as well as preventing trip and fall hazards for other students as well. Um, the requested that we're asking for is $107,432. You'll notice, and I just want to point out that there are substantial elements that are now no longer there. There are support posts and beams in place but due to wear and tear and the inability to replace them throughout the course of the life of the playground, um, those elements have been removed or were deemed unsafe and removed, but we didn't have the financial resources to replace them um, in that time. Um, but once again, we have patched, we have maintained, we have done everything that the district can do, um, but they are ending their usable life for some of these elements. And then the last school that we are presenting today <coughs> is the McGlynn Elementary School. Uh, the McGlynn is a enormous <laughs> playground um, area uh, where the total square footage that we're looking for, the McGlynn opened in 2001, K-5 school. Uh, it is 24,500 square feet. 
Um, the uh, request is for $515,822. The total project cost is $531,296. Uh, there is um, deterioration to the rubberized surface. The rubberized surface is mammoth and requires uh, significant repair. We replaced a slide, a dual slide, this summer um, and uh, that was broken, so we, we have maintained and have upkept. Up but once again, these rubberized surfaces, this one is the oldest, um, approaching 18 and 19 years old, um, given the age of the playground. Um, we also have some flooding. Um, there is a French drain in the area, but our analysis at this point shows that about 50% of the French drain is not properly functioning. Um, so we'd look to uh, have that situation <coughs> mitigated to, to be able to pull all of the, all of the flooding away. And here you can see the, where the drainage is not currently working. Um, these playgrounds really represent more than just playgrounds. Um, there have been numerous studies about the importance of play in child's lives and the ability to have imaginative, uh, creative, fun time with their peers on the playground and to be able to really bring that back into the classroom as a part of their learning experience. This isn't just recess, all right? This is so much more. And the fact that we have these playgrounds right now that need this substantial amount of repair, um, we're really asking for your help because this is something that is pressing, this is something that is timely, and this is something that will require us to look at increasing tax maybe a debt, o debt override, debt exclusion to really get these done. Otherwise, we're, that's why we're here. We're asking for your help because these things are part of our community. I see countless kids on them when I'm here on the weekends playing, using them, and it's more than just the schools. It's part of uh, just an entire approach for Medford. I'd like to ask if I can just have uh, Kathy Kretz, and then we've had some really amazing parent support, but if Kathy, a uh, member of our school committee, could come up and just uh, express her support on behalf of the school committee, um, that would be phenomenal. Thank you. And while Kathy is getting up, the rest of those of you standing in the back can take a seat discreetly. <laughs> we won't look. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Kathy Kretz. I live on 391 Fulton Street in Medford, um, and I am I'm in support of all of the playground resurfacing for the Brooks, the Columbus, the McGlynn, um, the Roberts I was in support of also, and um, I actually took it upon myself um, the last two summers to go out to each school and take pictures, and, you know, I sent in my pictures to the director of building and grounds, and, you know, we did what we could do to patch the, you know, the surfaces. Um, we were fortunate to have um, Cheryl Rodriguez um, assist with the grant last year for the Roberts, um, and it was, a, you know, tremendous, you know, help, and, you know, the community just loves going to the playground, and the kids are just, they, the neighborhood just loves it, and um, we just, what the parents want and what we all want is to have a safe playground for all the students um, so they can enjoy it. Uh, the after-school programs use it, the weekends, vacations. Um, I know when my niece and nephew come from Florida and Georgia, I take them to the parks. We, we have fun. We're like, okay, what park do you want to go to? You can pick the park. And it's just so 
so much fun because they're all they're all a little bit different and it's just a really nice you know piece in our community to have such a great park and when I've been there taking pictures there'll be students or children there and I'll say oh you're from Medford they say no we were just passing by and we stopped we saw the park and you know they just came out and <coughs> wanted to play and it's they're like oh this is a great park and too bad this is there's a hole there and I'm like I know we're working on it and that's why I'm here taking pictures and um, you know I know John does what he can you know to patch the surfaces and um, we did a lot of work at the Brooks last year and getting some of their playground structures um, repaired with the slides and even at the Columbus we had the slot I think we had the, the slide was repaired there and you know we're doing what we can but um, we did have <coughs> a capital plan this past summer and we did you know put these items on our capital plan unfortunately we didn't get the free cash to fund the playground surfacing so that's why we're coming to you now to ask you and urge you to please consider um, you know um, you know granting us some funds for the playground resurfacing projects and I know you know some of the parents have some other ideas in mind and I'm open and happy to uh, you know to whatever the parents want to do for the playground surface you know it would just be fantastic and just to you know for all the students to be able to be safe and to run around and happy and you know everybody to be safe in the playgrounds so I really appreciate it it means a lot to me um, you know my son my niece just we've had so many fun times times in the summer and my plan was every summer I'm like okay we're gonna go to every park you know pick a park of the day and we just go to the parks and it's still something I love to do you know whenever my niece and nephew come mm -hmm. and I really appreciate your time tonight thank you so much and I really urge and hope that you'll support all of the schools thank you Thank you. Um, so if any of the parents would be able to speak just there I gotta say the parents have come together on this project and it's really been phenomenal to see the emails um, they came together on a Sunday night I, I was running a marathon not really but I was running um, <laughs> it just um, it, it just was really good to see the emails to talk to people on the phone to see how the parents have rallied around this and I think it's a really important issue to, to really support this for our kids so thank you thank you Hi, my name is Jenny Graham, 7 Ronnelly Road. Um, I am a, a currently elected uh, incoming member of the school committee, but I also currently um, chair the Brooks PTO. So I'm here on behalf of the Brooks, but on behalf of really all of the schools um, because we felt really strongly that we wanted to collaborate um, and bring really forward a cohesive package to you guys so that um, we can talk about what needs to happen across the entire city rather than having three schools sort of trying to sound one kind of worse or more dire than the other. <laughs> All of the playgrounds are in bad shape um, and they need, they all need this resurfacing. Um, minimally. The McGlynn project is sort of a different animal and Bailey will talk about that a little bit because there's their situation I think is actually unique but um, one of the things that we've done and we haven't delivered to you guys yet but we will before the 21st is we um, pushed out a petition and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of community members have signed in support of it so there are lots of people here tonight in support of these projects but there's people across the community that are in support of the projects as well um, so we'll actually close that out in the next couple of days and deliver that to you 
sort of as a cohesive package. Um, there are some letters of recommendation that also were included for you guys to take a look at that were in support of all of them. Some folks wrote three letters, but really I think the, the overall spirit is that everybody's in favor of the, all of these projects getting, um, getting looked at and funded in some way. Um, Garrett, do you want to say something about, about Columbus and then we can let Bailey talk about the McGlynn project? Uh, my name is Gareth McFeely. I live at 80 Marion Street, and I am currently the president of the Columbus PTO here with some of my colleagues from the PTO this evening. Um, as Jenny has just said, I, I think that it is really important that we uh, wor have worked together over the last number of weeks to, uh, to share our thoughts, to uh, support one another, um, but also to express the sense that these are not just um, purely educational resources. Peter spoke, uh, I think, about the importance of free play, for example. But these are community gathering places for all of the schools, including uh, the Roberts that has already had its playground renovated. It's a place where people gather before school. It's a place where people gather mm -hmm. after school. It's where information is shared, coordination happens, play dates are planned. Uh, it's also a place where people who don't uh, participate in any of the schools come uh, and um, meet neighbors and friends. It's where PTOs host meetings. So these are incredibly important resources that I think are, it's not just the, the, the square footage that's important, it's to really get a sense of the human impact of them. Uh, as also Jenny has said, I think that the Brooks and the Columbus have very similar needs. It's not hard to see that from some of the photographs. Um, but, but I think we also agree that the McLean has a very different order uh, the, uh, of magnitude in multiple senses that they need to talk to you a little bit more about. So thank you. Hi, my name is Bailey Shindell. I live at 46 Washington Street. I am currently the president of the McGlynn Parent-Teacher Group. Um, I want to reiterate everything that Jenny and Gareth said about the whole um, school community pulling together and really supporting each other's projects. I want to also speak a little bit to the unique situation that the McGlynn is in. Um, first, the McGlynn is uniquely positioned in that its playground is um, accessible from like the river walk as well as the new dog parks as well as like there are soccer fields nearby so this is a playground that is really um, more used or like more of a destination playground in the community but also the size of the McGlynn playground makes it very unique in that it's like three times the surface of the other playground. So while Peter specifically spoke to resurfacing it, I think we're a little bit more open to like um, a redesign of what's going on there with really thinking and or keeping in mind about how do we like not pay $500,000 to get this area resurfaced every 20 years. So while we didn't have our, this project came to us our, as a parent group um, over the last couple of weeks, we really want to take some time to like think about maybe like you know not surfacing as much of that area um, are looking at surfacing alternatives um, to that area to maybe like reduce the cost and think about sustainability over time. Also, we showed some pictures and Peter didn't speak to our, um, the, we have some equipment um, issues, our, our deck beds of our, um, of our playground stuff is, you can see it's like rusted out in like pretty much all the joint areas um, that we, um, what, that we could like use our like 
that could be dangerous to children. There's accessibility issues, but also like it's rusty, jagged metal that our <laughs> that our children are like playing on. So we um, we really support what's going on with the Brooks and Columbus, but we would even be really open to the idea of like a, a smaller funding this year with the idea that we would come back to you with a very well-planned out idea of what we're looking for for next year where and support these other playground projects. Um, if we could like get these <coughs> deck beds sorted for now and then like worry about or make a really great plan, I mean, bring you an exceptional application <laughs> in the future, um, that would be great. So thank you so much for listening. And this is like a really important project for not only our students, but also for like the community at large. So thank you. Thank you very much. Um, all right, I, is that all of, of, of your presentation? All right, thank you. I'd like to open then for um, questions from the committee. Yes. I don't know who can answer it, Peter or John. The Columbus and the Brooks, are they going to be total redos or just rehabbing the surface? So, you have to get Good evening, John McLaughlin, Director of Buildings and Grounds, 147 Park Ave. And to start off, I'd li like to thank you for allowing us to do the Roberts Play Surface last year. It's uh, meant a tremendous amount to the community. And as far as the Columbus School and the Brooks School, it would be taking all of the rubber surface out and replacing it. And what about the fixtures? Well, we, we do have estimates for repl uh, replacement and repair of other fixtures that need to be uh, to be done, we'll have to reassess it again because of the last time we did it was like say a couple of months ago. So things could be different from them. And then the decks the decks did come up the last time; they would have to be replaced. But I, I will have updated pricing um, soon on on all of that. Or maybe operations could take some of it. Do the do the fixtures have to be in place before the surface? Well, what what the main goal is is to make is um, anything that's mounted into the surface is okay. Everything above the surface can be replaced at any time, so it wouldn't it wouldn't uh, deteriorate anything or it wouldn't make anything um, you know hazardous to the surface in a sense. So we we went through it all. We get we anything that's mounted in the ground we have in our estimates. And then anything else we can get back to afterwards. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, I I think these are great projects, and this this board has supported many city of Medford projects in the past, and I hope they will again. I have just a few questions because this is, these are big numbers, and I'm pleased to hear that perhaps the the biggest one, the McGlynn, might be something that could be a phase two once you have a full design because that, that to me makes a lot of sense because of the sheer scale <laughs> and complexity of that one is it's a different scale of, uh, compared to the other two uh, but question about um, um, budget maintenance budget what, what are what do you have for a maintenance budget for these type of products on an annual basis for the three schools do you have well, we numbers? have uh, my budget subdivided into uh, school repairs um, HVAC and um, so I think per year it's 
I have about $350,000 to handle all of the schools, and that's the electrical repairs, HVAC repairs, heat repairs. So it doesn't go very far, and that's the operations. And this year, we, uh, we did have a reduction in our budget as well. That's, that seems like something that should be corrected as part of what we're talking about because these are great products, but if you if if it's a low if something you can't get to because you have to fix the fix the electrical you have to fix the right. the roof leaking right obviously well, landscapes like I be said a we have we have the operations budget this is becomes more of a capital project and over the years you know we we we've tried to uh, make the repairs as uh, into the surfaces as we can with. Um, Mike Nesta from the park department has worked very well with us. Our guys have been out there, and it just became overwhelming. Um, the usage is high. It's very, like, like, like the parents say, that there's a lot of activity and there's a lot of kids on it. And, you know, under, the, under my operations budget, we, we try to do the best we can, and everybody pulls together. And, and me as director, I feel that I've been able, with parent support, to get a lot of projects accomplished in the last few years and I think the, the public in general has really come to understand the value of good maintenance and, and, and taking it serious so we're turning the page as far as what's happened here if, if you can understand what I mean I do and I I like to echo I, I live two blocks two blocks from the Brooks School I have see that when I walk by there yeah Weekends. It's not just the kids and recess. No, it's and, the whole and, community. And it's we were able to come together last year for a turf field for the Brooks, and right. like I said, and 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 then last year the the Roberts uh, soft surface that you guys helped us with. Okay. I guess my last question is if <coughs> if this if this um, CPC didn't exist, you wouldn't have to find funds elsewhere. Obviously, from the well, city. we have been working on a capital plan. Now with the C with the CPC funds. The, the difference is, is if you are able to help us, we can take the capital plan and put it towards the roofs that may need to be repaired or put it towards uh, security uh, 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 things that we want to try to, to tackle. It's, it's, you know, it's all in a small window. And it's free cash, and it, and it comes down to whether the city council um, appropriates. And they've always been great about it, but, you know, it, it, there's all these factors involved. I guess my final comment, again, I'm in support of these projects. I just think it sounds like the capital plan is not enough for the actual viability of the age of the buildings, the number of buildings, and the needs of the buildings and the landscape around it. It sounds like it, it just needs to be bigger because otherwise, you know, things get deferred, deferred, and then you have to replace the whole thing every 15 or 20 years, where maybe that would have would not have happened 20 years ago if we'd had a capital budget that would have been more appropriate to a brand new building that well, was you probably under Well, take the fields up back, for instance. He's been allowed to operate, and he's been allowed to maintain, and you have fields that are uh, uh, coming on 10 years. They look brand new right. because he's been allowed to do the maintenance that's involved in it and that, you know, and ex uh, extend the life of the field. Okay. Thank you for answering Thank the you. questions. More questions? Yes. Uh, we've talked about four rubberized surface playgrounds. How many additional ones are there beyond that? This is it. This is it. The uh, the Brooks, Columbus, and the McGuinn. And like I said, obviously, you know that we've, we did the Roberts um, last year. Okay. 
Yes. So about an hour ago, we got another letter of support from Sharon Davis. So I wanted to add that to the list as well okay. um, for all three schools. Yeah. Um, we've already touched on this, but I feel compelled to sort of cite some CPA um, language regarding the use of the word repairs. So incidental repairs that don't material, materially change and add value are considered maintenance and are unallowable. Um, but extraordinary repairs that materially change and add value for the purpose are allowable. Um, reading the game time quote, I can't tell what these are. <laughs> well, they're definitely extraordinary repairs. <laughs> okay. there's, there's no question about it. Basically yeah. replacing those elements. Right. Okay. And, and what we did is we went out. I toured, I toured with the representative from Game Time. We went to all the uh, facilities. We, we, we toured this, uh, the soft surfaces. We also did a quick uh, look at the playground structures because 20 years for the surface, and you have to, you know, we wouldn't want to replace the surface and then have to five years from now turn around and rip the structure down to replace the structure. So mm -hmm. the stuff, like as you can see, that's mounted into the surface is very important that that is, doesn't not have to be um, fixed. Uh, if there's stuff above the surface, it makes it a little bit easier, obviously, because we're not destroying the surface to, to, to make the repairs. Okay, and um, just about the McGlynn, I sort of echo what you say, Doug. I only saw um, costs for the surface, but uh, asking for um, <clears throat> approval for the decks, but there's no information about the decks. So maybe we need a phase one, phase two on the McGlynn. Right. I know that I do have a, a quote for the repair of the French drain, and it's about $7,000, up to $7,000. I would think, like, if you're looking for a phase one, phase two for McGlynn, I would think... A design grant might be what's called for. I know that uh, MRC is willing to work with us on a free design plan for the McGlynn. Um, it, it would be if we got together with the parents and, uh, you know, I I don't want to rip it out and put mulch there. I, I, you know what I mean? That, that would be the cheapest solution. And I don't know, uh, I'm not sure under Massachusetts law if mulch is acceptable. I've heard yes and I've heard no. So that it's debatable. I what, what I was wondering was whether it might be possible, the slide that we have on the screen right now shows the, the, the dimensions of that area, if it might be possible to break it up so that you have the poured surface under the play structures and maybe an accessible path in between Most certainly, them, and um, then be able to have different surfaces on the... I spoke uh, with MRC and they could, you know, do, if you look, you can see half, they could do half one year, half the other year with the lowest amount of seam coming at where those trees are. I mean, we could we could do that, but, you know, I'd want to meet with the parents and, and, and discuss it, obviously, because we want, we just don't want to go in and do what we want and then have everybody not happy. I'd rather have everybody come together, make decisions, and, and move forward that way. I mean, and uh, as far as the McGlynn parents go, I, I've, I've sat down with Todd and they're, they are very good. They're very good. They just want to make it playable, and they understand that it's 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 a lot of money. A half a million dollars more is a lot of money. Um, and, and, and as uh, Bailey said, that they're they're very much willing to work to get to a goal, which is which is very good. You know, in some cases, you know, uh, you just want to. I mean, you want to please the people that are using it the most. I mean, I could say take it all out and put mulch in it and then go riding off into the sunset, but that wouldn't be 
that wouldn't be what you know. I don't. I don't think we'd fund that. <laughs> <laughs> well, my friend Mike Nesta, he gets me my mulch anyways. <laughs> Certified playground mulch. Certified, yeah. Kid cushion. Kid cushion. <laughs> um, then um, a couple of other questions that I had was. First of all, uh, we saw that in all of the playgrounds there are elements that need to be replaced or repaired. Are the is this funding request just for the surface alone, or does it also include replacement well, of those I elements? Well, we would love to get whatever we can from the CPA. If there's if there's anything that um, if we have to use operational or capital money, whatever it happens to be, I don't know. But you know, if I had to do you know, some operational repairs on some of the stuff. I suppose I could put it in the operations budget. Um, but as far as that goes, you know, we'd love the money for all of it. As one example, um, the rubber recycle quote for the Columbus is 96000 um, But our request is you know, higher than that. I don't have that exact number in front of me right now. 107. Yeah. Um, but that is, you know, for, right. for some of those elements. There were quotes for uh, repairs as well at the Columbus and the Brooks. All right, thank you. Um, you had a comment? Yes. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you. So I just wanted to say thank you guys for engaging with the parent community um, in these last couple of weeks um, to let us know that the original submissions didn't have what you needed from the community in order to pursue these. So thank you for not just tossing them to the side. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think one of the things that um, we want to know from you tonight is what do you need from us in the next whatever the timeline is so that we can be crystal clear about what information we have to provide for you so that you have what you need to make a good decision. So I think I heard a date of the 21st of November. Um, and if you need from us a clear, these are the elements we want to replace and this is how much they are, like we will all work together to make those things happen. I think we just want some feedback from you about what else you need from us to make this successful so that um, we parents can do what we need to do. We already have a meeting scheduled for tomorrow night to regroup based on your feedback. So we're sort of looking for your feedback to tell us how to make this happen. Thank, um, thank you. First forward. of all, I just wanted to say that um, we, we, I, I suggested a deadline of the 21st of November, which enables us to maintain the schedule that we outlined in, in the first place for, um, for our committee to make our decision in December. Um, although, given the complexity of at least one of your projects, the McGlynn, if it's not realistic to have all of the answers by that time, then we would rather take our time to fund the, the, the project that needs to be funded rather than rushing to make a decision about something that's not ready yet. Mm -hmm. So um, I, we strongly encourage you to stick to the schedule if you can, <laughs> <laughs> because we'd like to stick to our schedule, yeah, no, but, but, but we'll be flexible if we have to be. Um, but uh, um, I don't know if my other committee members have had a chance to see the supplemental material that was submitted over the last week by the schools, and if you have any questions of, of outstanding information that we want to see from them. Questions? No? No, the 515 is just for the surface and the removal. Yes, yeah. yeah, so I think, you know, one thing that I'd like to see is definitely for the McGlynn, a more defined project scope and budget. So, okay. you know, we, we, 
we'd like yeah that is something that we will be working on and we are working together to close for um the deck beds as well as like hopefully get a schedule or an idea of what we can do as far as design we're also working with the envir the environmental department of medford um and uh for some ideas around both the environmental issues there and like more, maybe a more <coughs> natural playground not just throwing down wood chips but there are like some um there are like some other options that are available that we're like exploring including equipment that may have more of a natural look and be more modern your name and address oh, Thank you. I would strongly recommend that you try to get some professional design help because the scale of this project is just so big. Absolutely. And the, the technology and the environmental side has changed so much since it was built that it's really almost starting over. And I think even if you can get free design help, I, would, I think a design grant would be very fundable for this project. Excellent. Thank you so much. So beyond the McGlynn project, are there other things that you need from us? want from us <laughs> either way <laughs> I think that yeah I think that um, I appreciate all the work that went in I know that you you met a very tight timeline to submit the materials that you submitted in time for us to be prepared for this evening so I appreciate that and I think that um, for the other projects we have what we need from you okay perfect. thank you thanks yeah I mean I would just say as long as it, you know the latest uh, scoping information about pricing and budget particularly for the structures if there's okay. any information about but what's going to be replaced it'd be helpful to have okay so we'll provide that update to you yeah. whether it's no change or here's the yeah. update and here's why yeah. it changed one caution is that when we make a recommendation for funding it's easier to give money back to us than to come back and ask us for more money <laughs> i got <gotcha. laughs> <laughs> yeah okay that makes sense does anybody else have any questions? Right, so you may want to include a contingency. Okay. Yeah. Will do. <laughs> All right, thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, I, I think that, that that concludes our presentation on the schools. So if you're, if you're, if you're in a rush, I understand <laughs> to move to the next, uh, to your next engagement. Um, our next project that we're going to talk about is Riverbend Park, Environmental Remediation Phase 2. So I'll give a moment before I invite our applicant to step up to the podium. If we could have some technical support for a moment to um, fix our presentation, which is not connecting to the screen. Okay. Hold on one moment. I'm trying to get your presentation up and working. Oh, thanks. No. no. Well, it's advancing here, but not there. It's not showing
Thank you. I have a template, so I just used it. Hi, I'm Alicia Hunt. I'm the Director of Energy and Environment for the City of Medford. So go to the next one. And so uh, this project is about a portion of Riverbend Park that is contaminated and needs remediation. And so I wanted to start by making sure that everybody understood where we were talking about <laughs> and what we were planning to do. Because the goal of this project is to return a portion of the park that has been fenced off for public safety to public use. So uh, this image, and I might, you can see the Mystic River. You can see actually the Andrews School. And at the very bottom, what you can't see is the McGlynn School where we were talking. Um, and this green little area is what we're talking about. There was a CPA project that was the phase one remediation of Riverbend Park, and that's the section that is not highlighted there. Is it helpful if I point to it? I realize that you guys are looking. I don't know <laughs> how much you need of the microphone for recording versus this. Mm -hmm. um, so all of this is Riverbend Park and more. Riverbend Park is, uh, I think I said 30, it's 39 acres. The portion that was phase one of the project was over here. And that was the area where we cleared out a contaminated area in a couple of locations, dug out the dirt, were able to stabilize it and remove it. And we've been opening up this area for public use again. This one little corner, so if you can go to the next slide, we'll zoom in on that corner, that area remains fenced off. And that area remains fenced off because the levels of lead in there are so high that we couldn't just open it back up and it is cost prohibitive to dig it out and stabilize it and remediate it. Um, and to give you sort of people don't like, n the numbers are kind of meaningless, but when I talk about them in this sort of magnitude, it's a little bit helpful. So there's this 200 parts that if you are over 200 parts of lead, you have to report it to the state. Wait, 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 did I get this right? 200 parts you have to report it to the state the area in there was between 20 and 30,000 parts per parts per million sorry Brian is a my license site professional so if you understand that we had to report anything over 200 but what's in the ground there is over 20,000 it just gives you this idea that like oh this is a different order of magnitude of what we're talking about over here so we can't afford to remove it it's it's ridiculous um, because you can't dispose of this soil. Nobody wants it. So what is recommended to us by our licensed site professionals? So actually, yes, let's go to the, the next site. So when you have contamination in the ground in the soil, the state oversees it, the State Department of Environmental Protection, so all this is being regulated by the state. You have to hire a licensed site professional, an LSP. A licensed site professional, in my mind, is like a doctor, right? It's their job to tell you the truth and the bad news and make sure that it's fixed. So while we hire them and we pay them, they lose their license if they sweep it under the rug or they cover it up or they tell you stuff that's you know not correct. So we've hired, because I feel like a lot of people tend to be suspicious. Well, you're paying them, so they're telling you what you want to hear. No, if they tell us just what we want to hear, that's like a doctor lying to you, right? It's a license in the environmental site sense. So actually, Brian is here with, uh, with me this evening to answer any very technical questions because he is the licensed site professional that the city hired uh, his firm to oversee this project. 
So basically they've said, here's what you have to do, you can and can't do to meet state regulations. If we want to open this area back up, the cost effective thing is to put an impermeable cap on it, right? To put a patio, a concrete or asphalt patio on there. And that would allow us to open it back up to the public in a way that is conceptually affordable by the city. Um, in the phase one section, the levels were much, much lower. So we could just dig them out, we could stabilize it, and we could send the stuff off to a disposal location. And I, that grant, we have about $120,000 for doing that work and the, the consulting that goes along with this kind of oversight. So this space, which while much smaller, is also we're asking for about 100 and roughly 150,000. You have exact numbers in your proposal there to do this section. So the next slide shows, so this is, this is the area that was highlighted in that. The, um, oh, sorry, you have, um, I had tried to send you a slightly updated version of this, but that's okay. What you're seeing there, the black, I have a slightly updated version that I could circulate to you guys um, from the consultant. Um, so they now know that it is a 3,600 square foot area that must be covered in order for this to be opened back up. So we talked about it and we said, well, we don't want to just slab a slab of asphalt there and walk away because that would be not very responsible of us and frankly, not a good use of this space. Um, it is an area that's kind of tucked into nowhere, but nobody wants a slab of asphalt just sitting there. Um, so actually, with some advice that I got from members of this board, in fact, I have been working with the Medford Arts Council on what should we be doing in this area. So there are some members of the Arts Council here this evening as well who have been volunteering with my office to look at options and to help with public outreach about what would be a good use of this. Um, so we specifically reached out to abutters, but the outreach was generally public. Um, let me see what's, yes. So if we um, go to the next slide. So we had a public meeting that we, you know, announced through the city's regular channels that we were looking at North Riverbend Park, that we put this little map showing this is the area that we were doing, but the flyer for that was actually specifically mailed to everybody along Ship Ave, all the direct abutters to this area, a little bit larger than what one would consider direct abutters because we, this is adjacent to where the clipper ship connector would go. So we actually have a lot of contact information for residents in that direct area who are concerned about the about the clipper ship. And just so you know, mailings go to property owners. Um, when we do emails, it's because people have self-identified through some way and told us what their email address is. And then there are a few key people who are on the email list that I use, which is a spreadsheet of names, not a list, um, who then resend it to various um, condo associations adjacent to this. So we did email to people who had identified as interested in this area, and then we put it out there on the public, uh, the web, Facebook, the paper. And then after the public meeting, we also did an online survey, which again, we did via email to that interest list, we put it out there on Facebook, we asked various groups to, to circulate it a little. Um, the reason we targeted the outreach so that it was both public but targeted is because we felt that it was important to hear from the people who were direct abutters, but it is a public space for the public so everybody should have a say. 
Um, to that end, in the, the survey, we gave people the option to self-identify their contact information and to self-identify their location if they wanted to tell us. So um, we did have, uh, if you go to the next slide. Um, so as you can see, oh, I didn't, sorry, I thought it was on here. Um, the, on the left, as you look at it, yes, the left, um, are the answers from the general public. And the right is the subset of 12 people who identified themselves as living a, on Ship Ave. So it's possible that more of the general public were on Ship Ave. Um, and this is a subset. So the ones on the right are included in the numbers on the left. Um, but I felt that it was important that people could both either choose to be anonymous or tell us that they were abutters. Um, so you can see that we asked them about what things might be important to them. And I will tell you that we gave them choices. And on this list, bike path loop was other, that somebody chose other and then wrote in bike path loop. Um, everything else was a choice that we sort of put on there. So as you can see, peaceful space is important to everybody. Public art, plantings, and benches. We did say plantings around the edge. So the asphalt or concrete area cannot have plantings go through it. And it would be, I think it would be not a great idea to put like planter boxes on it because of the an immense amount of maintenance that would be needed to keep things living if you had to be constantly watering stuff like that. So it would have to be the areas around it and not the actual surface. Um, so we got some ideas of what people were interested in. And the next slide, we asked people about some specific potential uses some of which we had thought of, some of which came out in the public meeting we'd had. Um, and as you can see, this idea of a labyrinth was actually extremely popular because people thought of it as both an active use of the space, but something that incites quiet use. You could even imagine that school classes from the Andrews could use a labyrinth in a quiet manner because that's an intended quiet use of something like that, as well as the general public. Um, and you can see that things like a climbing structure, which we put there, we wanted to be fair, um, was very unpopular among the direct abutters, although there was support from the general public. Historical displays had interest, um, and a wall mural was of interest. Um, and again, the plants gar plant garden and fountain and barbecue, where when people said other, they could write in their own. So those are things that people wrote in, which is why they have one vote each. Um, so that's sort of what, where we got to. And then the next slide is some images of preferred ideas. So these were some of the images that we gave people in the survey to say, this is what we mean by these things, to help them understand. Um, and then the next slide, we asked them about their concerns. The Ship Ave residents, their concerns were loitering, noise, and littering. Other residents' concerns were noise, maintenance, and shade. And I do want to say that normally one doesn't go negative and say, tell me what you're worried about. But in this case, I thought it was very important to understand what was not okay in addition to what was okay. So our request here is to fund the consulting services, which are more than your standard consulting services because it's a licensed site professional overseeing 
uh, a location like this and we'll have to put an activity use limitation on the site something that basically says you may not dig down really deep here um, if this site was ever it's attached to the deed and um, it for future if you know I can't imagine and I think the city is probably not allowed to to sell this site because it's a conservation location but you still legally have to put something on the deed that says you're not allowed to dig really deep here um, so there's consulting services for that there's the cost of the surface we did put in a number a bunch of contingency and we've been looking at getting pricing for labyrinths and whether something could be painted would it be sandblasted would it be stenciled would it be poured and so some members of the Art Council have actually been reaching out to various companies and artists over the past several weeks to find out what's out there and who could do what. Um, one of our members who couldn't be here this evening, Sophie Tuttle, has said that if, if in the end what we decided was to get a labyrinth design and then it was to be painted, she is a professional artist painter. She's actually been the one, she's the one who's been doing the um, electrical boxes around town. If you've noticed that they've been getting yeah really professionally done she's the artist doing those she has volunteered that she would manage the project the the art piece of the project um in helping to figure out what do we exactly put there so there is some money in our budget request for site furnishings and that would be this art and this is where we're trying to get a very very concrete here's what exactly we would do where we've gone so far is our recommendation uh, is to put a labyrinth on it with plantings around the edges and as i said now we're working on getting some specific pricing on that thank you so thanks if you have any questions and as i said i have members of the art council and our consultant here in case any of the questions are sort of outside of my realm of expertise yes alicia maybe i'm reading the application incorrectly but um on I don't know what page it says. I see a phase two total of 110.315, but your request is for 147. So what am I missing? Um, I would have to figure out exactly what you're seeing. I will tell you that we had different estimates and then, oh, let me see. You said. The one that sorry, you, I have a spreadsheet. Sorry, the preliminary me, construction cost estimate. Does, does it say 113? 113,000? Uh, no, it says 110,315 okay. for phase two. Would that have been the earlier when we did phase one and we were estimating what phase two would be? I don't know. This is just the application that I have access to, a phase two application. I was trying to make sure that I had the same materials. So I had the PDF. So maybe it is because my second question is that there's some attachments re um, referenced at the end. Mm -hmm. And there's one that says there's an XLS budget estimate, but I didn't see it as part of this application. Okay, I assumed that that went to Danielle. You, I, <laughs> if okay. it did not, I am happy. I actually have, in fact, the Excel in front of me that has the total that was on the, the total grant, 147,306. So what we were looking at is there are both, to be clear, LSP services we're looking at about $57,000. Okay, this is 33. Mm -hmm. That is something that can be quoted to us right now by the consultant because we they are hired by the city. They've given us a quote for what the services would cost. The construction services are their estimate 
of what construction would cost because we cannot go out to bid and get a contractor until we know that we have funding for it and we know exactly what we're putting there. So her estimate had been 40, I'm gonna round to the nearest thousand, 49,000. We added a contingency on that to make it about 56,000. That's what we think that a straight up surface would cost. Um, now that we know that the surface is gonna be 3,600 square feet, we've gone back and forth between asphalt and concrete. I think we're now saying concrete is gonna make sense if we're gonna put something like this, uh, perhaps. And what I'm saying now is a labyrinth. Unless somebody were to come back to me and say, that's a horrible idea, don't do that. It really feels like there's support for that. Um, and then we've asked for 15,000 for site furnishings. Um, Having seen one estimate so far from a, for Labyrinth stuff, for design, for stencils and stuff, I'm getting a little nervous that we're underbidding, we're undercosting there. But again, we put 15% contingency on top of the whole thing of another $19,000, really because of exactly what Roberta and Daniela sort of said in the past. It's better to ask for extra and then not use it all than for us to say, we've got this beautiful design, we've got a great plan, and we don't have enough money here to do it. So I, I know that was kind of roundabout. I'm also happy to email this spreadsheet to Danielle so that you guys have, I think I know we had to put everything in paper to hand it in so that might have gotten lost in the. Yeah, it would be helpful to just make shuffle. sure that we have yeah. the correct spreadsheet. This is not correct. Yeah. Um, the, the phase two total has a different amount than. Phase one was posted and emailed out. The right, I think your your spreadsheet. The note of the phase one removal. The one the email that was sent out. Um. Under applications. Or so I'm looking at the application for phase two, mm -hmm. and the cover says that the total. Project budget is one hundred forty-seven thousand three hundred six. Um, no, this is, this is phase, phase two. two, and then on the very last page of the packet that we have um, is a budget, and it shows the phase two total being one hundred ten thousand three hundred fifteen. Hmm. So sorry, then somehow the wrong budget. I I am remembering that the I left all the stuff for the mayor to sign and somebody else to walk downstairs to Danielle. So I'm concerned that if that's the wrong one got attached to it and I was not aware of that. So yeah, if you could make sure that we have the correct budget, um, yeah. that would be helpful. Because we do have that all broken out. Sorry. That was my only we can touch base tomorrow and to make, make sure, sure the one that, that is loaded on the, that I uploaded is the same. It's possible that the printed copy is different from the uploaded copy. I'm not <coughs> sure. So, any other questions? Yes. So, Alicia, three thirty-six hundred square feet is a fairly substantial, impervious area. Mm -hmm. There'll be runoff from this. How do you anticipate handling that runoff? As clearly, you can't infiltrate it here. Right. And so, I'm going to double check with Brian if you make sure that I'm saying this. But the intention is to put around the edge of it a uh, permeable area, gravel area, where it can permeate once you're off of the, the concrete surface, then so it's the acceptable. So the concrete surface is larger than the actual area of contamination? That yes, it has to be. Thank you. 
Yes, Doug? Uh, Alicia, is the, um, you mentioned that this would be put in a deed restriction so people will know it's there, but 50 years from now, is there anything that's going to be on site or under the concrete that would tell somebody if they were digging, don't dig here, don't disturb this? Is there anything physical that would be there that would let people Do know? You come up? Just because I, I believe future. I know the answer to this, but I'd rather not misspeak because, <laughs> frankly, I've not needed to do this before in this city. <laughs> That's part of why I hire experts to make sure that we do it correctly. So, Brian Miller, CEW Consultants. Um, oftentimes, people actually put a sign on properties that makes people aware of these things. Um, I'm not sure if in this case if it's you know going to look nice, but you know usually there is a sign that says. Something like, um, you know, there's an AUL on this property, and you know, uh, before you dig, you know, you know, do this and this. So. Have you ever done anything where you put something under the concrete? Like, like I've seen liners with text saying, literally, don't dig here um, in a few places. So that's just not done for this type of project? Yeah, actually, f well, yeah, physical barrier. So for this, it's an engineered barrier, so there actually is a, like a marker barrier beneath the concrete. Okay. So it's usually like a, it could even be like a, like a orange snow fence or some sort of, you know, bright barrier that's directly beneath it. Okay. Thank you. Yes. What would the life expectancy of this cap be? And what is the maintenance over time? And who would maintain it? So it has to be inspected uh, yearly for a minimum of 30 years. Um, I haven't been in the business long enough to know what happens after that, but <laughs> um, and then I, at that point, I think DEP, Mass DEP, you know, can come back and say, well, you either either need to reassess and maybe make repairs or um, uh, something like that. I, I don't know what what happens, but it's a minimum of 30 years that you have to inspect yearly. Okay, so, and in the city of Medford, um, <laughs> we have been sort of consolidating oversight of brown fields owned by the city into my office. We've been working with the, the engineering office on some of them um, and a little bit with the Department of Health, but generally where my office is managing them now, um, we have some other brown fields where we're putting AULs on city-owned properties. Um, so. We have to report periodically to the states. Part of the beauty of having the AUL is that not all you can really dial back dramatically on the reporting. We're assuming that the environmental office will take have to have responsibility for making sure that if the if the concrete patio gets cracks or whatever, that we basically raise the flag and say this has to be maintained because it's contaminated underneath and not just because you know we feel like it. Um, and to advocate for that and because of our legal responsibility to the state. Um, the other piece is that I am aware that state DEP does periodically do audits of AUL locations. So we have another AUL in the city that was filed about ten, eight or nine years ago because it was sort of by my predecessor, um, but I was around and so Two years ago, somebody from DEP contacted us and said, we're doing an audit of your AOL site and we need to go out and walk it and make sure that it still looks the way it's supposed to look and that nobody's done anything on it that you're not supposed to do. So it's not 
the, hopefully the threat of audit and somebody from the environmental office being able to say to the administration, we could get audited on this, so we have to do it. This isn't like a choice. This isn't a pleasure thing here. Could you um, define what AUO is? Oh, it's an activity use limitation, and that's a legal document that gets filed with the state. So it's filed on the deed, attached to the deed. So if you were a property owner that might buy and sell a property, it would be attached to your deed, so if anybody ever bought it. Um, but it's also filed with the state DEP. And it will specify things like no residences could ever be built here. Right. Things like that. Right. Thank you. Any other questions? Yes. Uh, just because members of the public will be watching this on, on TV, they may have questions about why is there so much lead contamination on this site, and since it's part of a park, how will they know that it doesn't go beyond that? Right. Um, so I will tell you that we did do historic work. I'd like to thank Dee for um, her efforts in providing us with information, and then our licensed site professional did like use that to go back and look at this property this area what could have been here in the past do we know where this is coming from we don't have a high level of confidence of where this one where this spot is coming from um, the best guess is that some people may remember that things used to get dumped in this area that is now considered Riverbend Park and that something got dumped there, that if people poured out lead paint, that could have contributed to something like this. Um, this is definitely stuff that's put there. It is clearly not naturally occurring. Um, so that's sort of like the, the where is, we're not sure, but the whole area was unmonitored for so long as sort of wild areas that that could explain why we don't know. And your other question was about. Well, right, the rest of the park. I mean, oh, how the do rest we know of the park. The, Thank you. Right, the cleanliness of the rest right. of the park. Right. So that was um, part of some of the, the research. So this area of the park has all been extremely detailed, mon um, sorry, borings, wells assessed. So, and we can't just touch test the surface. They make us go down all the way until we're hitting not clean fill anymore or until we're hitting clean fill and stuff so this section was all as part of this when so historically pardon me I'm going to think for a minute Riverbend Park was acquired from the state in 1999 in order to build the new schools as part of that project there was an assessment of the rest of Riverbend Park I have no idea why the assessment stopped at this um, sidewalk that uh, you would see cutting this area, delineating what I'm calling North River Bend Park. The rest of the area was assessed. There was extensive reporting done between 99 and about 2001 on the rest of it. There were some areas of, of lead and arsenic. There was clean fill brought in over a large portion of the park in order to bring it up. The entire thing was closed with the state as not at risk to the, to the general public. We have no records or understanding of why the area north of this path wasn't like looked at or tested or anything during that process. Um, there is an AUL on the portion of Riverbend Park close to the wind turbine. When they built the wind turbine, they found um, what they call urban fill there. And actually, I was reviewing the AUL on that part of it as a part of the due diligence for the McGlynn School Playground application. And the AUL on that section basically says 
Uh, you can do anything here. You can play on it. You can do whatever you want. You just can't dig deeper than six feet. So I said to the, the parents in the school committee for that project, let's assume that no matter what we did, if a child was digging anywhere near six feet, somebody's going to stop them before they got that deep um, because it is al an allowable use is playground, recreational use, all of that on that section. There's a section over there that has an outlined AUL on it. Um, right, so so, all, all of so the, it's, the rest of it's been right. tested. Right. It's all been reviewed. tested and cleaned when, so all the part on the other side of the path with where the playing fields are, where are the kids play, and we're just talking, this, this piece is really just an overgrown section that's wedged up on the other side against the, the fence, so. Right, why above that path was not tested, I, I do not know. Um, as doing some of the various projects we've been looking at, I asked the LSP to review all the documentation on the entire, on parts of the park and, you know, let me know if there were concerns around projects or other things that are in my mind that I'd like to do, like a solar pa panel carport, right, over one of the parking lots not coming to this body for that money. But like, what would happen if we dig there? And so she was reviewing all of those for us. Surface level, they were happy. Everything else is fine. Thank with you. The same about there. Okay. Thank you, any more questions? All right, well, thank you very much. All right, and I'll email you that uh, file. Sorry about that. That's all right. We have a moment for transition. And our next applicant is going to be the Friends of Wrights Pond and the City of Medford um, for irrigation system at Wrights Pond. Sure. Thank All you set. very much. Yes. So Mike Nestor, representing the City of Medford Park Department, um, here, in, here on behalf of the Park Department, and along with John Barbady, who lives on Aquavia Road, and has been the caretaker since I've been involved in DPW for over 20 years. Um, without John, the place wouldn't look as good as it does, and John has been fighting for this irrigation system for 19 to 18 years, 18, 19 years, and does yeoman's work up there. He's like its own private security firm up there when something's going on. <laughs> we know when the geese raid the pond. We know when there's vandalism. But we also know when it's looking good. John is a, a, a huge advocate for anyone that uses the pond. Um, so I couldn't be more happier to sign with this for John. Um, as everyone knows, the pond is getting more use. Prior to, it was really only used for maybe two months a year by residents. Now, more and more over the past, say, five years, you have walkers going through the fells, you have uh, residents up there longer uh, with the recreation group, they have yoga up there. So this really is a chance when John approached me to beautify the area even more. The last round, it got a grant to make the pathway from the parking lot down, you know, to John's standards and it came out well. Now he wants to be able to, when we plant flowers, on behalf of Friends of the Pond to have irrigation to water those flowers. Currently, right now, there's a bathhouse attendant that will water the grass or water the flowers that are along the, the white post and rail fence. Um, sometimes it can get done, sometimes it can't. 
the purpose of the irrigation is for the flowers and for the grass if for some reason we don't get enough rain um, and all the plantings along the wall uh, I believe submitted with the application was a, a map of of the uh, locations that would be irrigated um, and basically it's just to it'll be have a rain sensor so it won't go on when it's raining it won't use excess water um, it'll be up on the telephone pole at the parking lot uh, but as you see the area it's getting more and more space with the yoga with the um, the kids events and with all the plantings that uh, John has taken on John has probably planted six to ten trees up there with him and his former neighbor Claire who passed away a couple of years ago but when you see someone that's involved in John take pride and and assist the city of Mefford it's it's warming and it's nice to know and that's what Mefford's all about um, the people helping he loves the place he's there every morning probably 6:30. he's stops probably six times he has his own key to the spot um, to get in there and he's good if the lights are left on by the attendants or someone who uses the bathhouse we get a call the lights are left on um, so it's good in, you know people like that we need in the community and they are out there so couldn't be happier to run over this with him the quote is from Comac brothers who does all the irrigation system in the city uh, the athletic fields the passive areas um, the islands in the square um, they're well known they've been working with the the city for probably over 20 years because uh, they were here when I started um, they're a big company and a respectable company so with that being said any questions or John you want to make some comments before we get questions thanks Mike my name is John Bob 80 79 Aquavia Road Medford uh, just to give you a little bit of uh, historical perspective about 35 years ago uh, Rice Pond was not a desirable area it was uh, an awful lot of vandalism graffiti uh, just a lot of rowdyism etc so a few neighbors of mine and I Ben Giovanelli, a former police officer uh, who since passed away, uh, a neighbor, Claire Domenico, whom uh, Mike has mentioned, we decided that if we beautify the place, maybe there'd be more respect for it. And that's exactly what we did. We worked tirelessly along with countless volunteers to beautify that area and make it, I think, one of the finest amenities that the city has. Uh, recently, in, in fact, in the last, I would say, 15 years, with the new ba uh, bathhouse renovation, we don't see one bit of graffiti. Before that, I think the city had to paint the building every year. And because it's beautiful now, there's more respect for it. And as Mike said, we're getting more and more people who appreciate it. In fact, Mike, we had a wedding there about a month ago. And I think there should be more of them. It's a huge parking lot. I don't know what the city charges them or if they charge them at all. <laughs> and the people, they keep the place spotless. 
they 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 left. You you wouldn't find one uh, piece of Coke bottle or beer bottle or anything else there. But anyway, uh, the project that we need and we really do need it badly. We've lost an awful lot of uh, uh, bushes and shrubs because of naturally winter kills sometimes, but also because of lack of water. And uh, you know, you try to teach the kids that they, they have to water and so forth and so on. And you know, at the beginning, the first week, they'll do it. Uh, this is to help. And I did it for 25 years, lugging the holes around and everything else, but I, I can't do it anymore. And uh, teaching them is, is, is difficult. And sometimes youngsters can trip over a hose. So I think about 15 years ago, I suggested that we get a sprinkler system. I don't think you were there at the time, yeah. Mike. Maybe it's longer, but I've asked for it a couple of times, and it fell on deaf ears. But we need it badly, and if we get this sprinkler system, which is going to cost us fourteen thousand four hundred and one dollars or something like that, and we get some uh, invasive plant removal, uh, we, we get a lot of uh, uh, black swallow wants, bittersweet. Uh, nightshade, etc., which they they, uh, they 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 ruin the plants. They strangle the plants. So we're really asking uh, for you to help us beautify the area. I want to see it become, and I think it already has, one of the most beautiful areas in the entire region. Have you ever been up there? Is it a nice place? Beautiful. We want it to be better. We want it to sparkle, and it, it's not going to take a lot of money, $14,000 to put in a sprinkler system. Uh, the sprinkler system, the, me the mechanism will be up on a light pole nearby. Well, the the uh, Comac brothers will regulate it and, 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 and Michael, with Mike's help, and uh, Water will be magic, water and sun, and you'll see that place blooming even better than it is now. They're, I think they want, uh, uh, for the plant removal, uh, ground mass is, is asking for $17,700. Uh, I don't know if you know what black swallowwort is, but it's a plant, an invasive plant, and it's got claws like this, and you can't get that out by hand. I've, I've been working, I even have it in my yard now, and it's, it's terrible. So we need to get rid of that. In fact, I'm told that it's really spreading around the city uh, quite a bit. Uh, and of course, the bittersweet uh, is, is another problem. We didn't talk about it, but there's also poison ivy that should be taken care of. And that's in the contingency of about $4,000 if, uh, if uh, ground masses says we've got to get rid of this type of uh, poison ivy, if it's discovered, then we'll have to do that as well. So we're asking for a total of $36,000. It's a great investment for the future. And uh, from infancy to seniors, everybody has a chance to use it. Everybody seems to love it. We're getting up there now, grandparents we never saw before in the old days, 
You didn't see them up there reading and so forth and so on, but they're there now. They love it, and uh, I think we we can make improvements and make it even better. I'll answer any questions you have. Thank you. You make a great argument. <laughs> Pardon me? I said you make a very great argument for that park. Thank oh, you. You're welcome. Question. So actually for Mike. Yep. So I have Stand an irrigation up. system at my home, and I know that annually I have to blow the lines out every year. Otherwise, the water's going to freeze inside the lines, yep. crack the lines. So is Medford going to do this yep. blowout annually? Comac does it for the first year, two years, but they have our winterization. They have the irrigation contract with the city. Okay. It'll just go on to their uh, line item. They okay. blow out all the fields, all the islands, okay. um, et cetera, just like that. Yep. Other questions? Yes. I'm in, intrigued by this um, new wedding concept <laughs> in white. This sounds like a, a potential large revenue stream for this park. Is that something the city's looking into? I don't into? know. I, I looked out the window one day, and there's a wedding going on there. <laughs> I have seen over the years uh, a lot of, uh, you know, First Communion, Confirmation, and little parties like that, and they have birthday parties on the weekends, and I think the ch city charges $25 or $50, I'm not sure. That's on the on the park board. They yeah. vote, and Mike might be able to speak to that. They have to fill out the application, and the park board votes for a permit. And Wait a minute. Did I hear $25, $50 for an outdoor wedding permit? No. <laughs> the birthday party. I think yeah, it's birthday kid's party. birthday party, I believe. Birthday party. Yeah, they put the balloons up and so forth. No, it's great, but I'm thinking you're missing a few zeros at the end of those numbers. Yeah, no one likes raising rates, right? If you go to rent a park and then you find out the rates raised, they're not happy, right? Nobody has a wedding for $25. No, no, I, I get that, but I'm saying all the rates. The park board sets their rates. No, no, I, I'm, I'm just joking. I mean, I just, yes. I'm looking for you guys to have a more consistent revenue stream that, you can, that will help you go further. Yes, and this has been part of it. I think with John's leadership, like every year he, we've tried to do something more and more. We always talk about maintenance in the city and try to do things to beautify and make them better and better every year. Rice Pond is, just from the when I started in 2000, is superior to anything in the comments that you hear about it. Yes, there's always can be some improvements, you know, water runoff and stuff like that. Um, but the water's clean sparkling and the amount of work that this gentleman has done and put benches and trees in out of his own pocket is amazing donations um yes donations but it's just another way to keep it up and make it looking good just like everything else so i um i was just curious about the invasive plant removal is that going to be in the area that was covered on the map uh, the same as the irrigation system area or is that across the entire park is there is that in just John, a you want to speak yeah. on that yeah it is in the uh the invasive plants i see are in the playground area along the fence uh we see these uh, black swallow warts we see uh many of them behind the bandstand area and of course they're also along the uh, serpentine walkway where the uh, post rail fence is they get in there and uh, they're everywhere around yeah. the parking lot pardon me around the parking lot yeah they were they 
you know, they naturally, they're not on the concrete area of the parking lot, but they're in the surrounding area. Yeah. They're all over the, it's all And over. so the, the, what we're proposing with this funding is to remove the invasive plants throughout the entire park or just sections? No, just it? in the area of uh, uh, where the public is. You know, so not not the parking lot per se, just like no. the bandstand, the walkways, yeah, the bandstand, the, where the, the plantings are, the trees wrap. The playground, in those areas, where the uh, Rotary Club wall is, the plantings in there. Okay. Etc. Thank you. Anything else? Um, By the way, uh, yep. thank you very much. I think this is great that we have this type of funding available, and I also want to put a plug in. For your leader there, uh, Danielle, who does a fantastic job, I think, uh, and it's it's something that has been needed, and it fills a void uh, that the city has not uh, funded in the past. You know, we appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much. A question from the public. Yes. Yeah. Question or sort of a comment. Um, as the environmental director, I have, and I will say, I have a lot of concern about the black swallowwort that I have seen throughout the planted beds and stuff. Um, but I have been, I don't know what the process is with CPA and asking for funds and the budget and what they've looked at, because I'd love to see a grant that covers invasives at this location be large enough to look at the bittersweet that's in the trees completely surrounding the parking lot. So there is a strip of land between the parking lot and Elm Street, between the parking lot and Octavia Road. So it is a limited strip. It's not the woods. And I've been concerned about bittersweet climbing those trees and potentially taking down the trees surrounding the parking lot and the long-term damage that could occur. So I, I don't know if their, their quote includes that. I'd love to find it out. And if not, if there's a way to increase their quote to include that, it would be in the best I'll be honest, John, I believe, worked with them on getting that quote. So do you know? I don't know if it includes that or not. I can reach out to the contractor tomorrow and, and email it out. I'm not exactly sure. Another I know it was around that area. I don't know how extensive it went out towards the parking lot. Another possibility. Yeah. Yeah. not approve it because it didn't include this other additional area, but if there's an opportunity there could be an opportunity for a future grant application as well to In do a phase two um, invasive removal to get the edge areas around the park. Um, there's a possibility. Walk that area too, or point out even with photos that maybe we might have missed. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Thank you. Any other yeah. questions? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. So we'll take another moment for a transition, and our next applicant is going to be uh, City of Medford, Oak Grove Cemetery, the World War I monument. Thank you, whenever you're ready. So 
gotta shake it out and wake up a little bit. We've been in here like an hour and 40 minutes. All right, hi, I'm uh, Mike Durham. I'm the director of veteran services for the city, 85 George P. Hassett Drive, room 100. So if you ever wanna see me, that's where I am. Um, we started this last year and uh, thankfully I've had Ms. D. Morris by my side the entire time. Um, it was highlighted to me last Veterans Day on the centennial anniversary of world war, of world war one that our monuments in the city were absolutely decrepit and falling apart um so a year later it's 101st anniversary as of a couple days ago world war one this particular monument has been in place for over 80 years with no preventative maintenance so uh, i do have to say a lot better shelf life than the mcglynn school playground so you know about four <laughs> times longer than that but um, it, it's definitely due for some repair. Um, there's 79 US service members killed in action in World War I buried around this site. Uh, the site is built around it um, in honor of them. And uh, it's probably one of the more striking monuments that we have in the city. Uh, so I, I put it up there with some of the stuff they have in Washington, DC. Um, but. That being said, um, if you look at the pillar, I know, I know this is a far away screenshot, but it's um, cracked on three sides of the base. The base itself is off center. Um, this entire area was designed by a famous local artist, uh, Emilius Champa, who's done a lot of the other art within our community and region. I'm sure Dee will like to speak to that later. Um, but a lot of the carvings and markings and pictures are, are wearing away just with the exposure to the elements over time. Um, that, that's a better picture of the fracture that you can see on the uh, left-hand side right through the seal. Um, uh, you flip to the next picture, please. We have uh, unseated pavers, which are trip hazards uh, all around the landing. Um, their railings have corroded to the point that the rebar is exposed and rotting and rusting out. Um, the stairs uh, are absolutely disintegrating. And uh, a lot of high school kids go down there to take prom pictures, which I always thought was interesting. Um, I don't know. I, I went to Medford High and yeah, we did that. So anyways, if any, any of those kids ever fell down the stairs because we were negligent in our ability to repair these stairs, knowing that they're disintegrating in a trip hazard, that'd be on the city and the community, really. Um, let's, let's flip through a couple more pictures. I just put a few. Oh, you didn't put all dozen in there? No. no. Uh, picture is a thousand words. Now I have to speak longer. <laughs> all right, well... The, the entire area, just from these limited pictures, you can see is absolutely deteriorated. Um, and it's a reflection of the 79 service members in the ground that this is supposed to be there to honor, who made the ultimate sacrifice. Um, so I think it's incumbent upon our community to um, spend the money to bring it up to the level that it's supposed to be. Uh, we're requesting $200,000 to repair the pillar base, um, all of the railings, all the steps, all the pavers. Uh, we do have uh, an agreement with um, some of the local vendors to have a 25% discount on all materials used for the project for cost savings. Additionally, I was able to um, secure $50,000 from the state of Massachusetts to cover the other World War I monument on Forest Street. 
um, but they wouldn't pony up the cash for this one. So uh, I'm here asking for the full amount, um, but we were able to cover 50,000 for a separate project that's been withdrawn. Um, so uh, with that said, what are your questions at this time? Um, well, would, would, do you like to yeah, speak? Yeah, please, come Thank on you. up. Yes. <laughs> okay. D. Morris, uh, 39 Russell Street in Fulton Heights, North Medford, and I'm a historian and cemetery trustee. The uniqueness of this monument and its surrounds, the fact it was designed by Amelius Champa, who was also buried at Oak Grove, is really incredible. The statue is a doughboy and he's with extended arms. His gun is holstered. It is not warlike. He is nurturing and protective of the men and women who are buried at his feet. It's an incredible memorial. And with the backdrop now of just this past week experiencing Veterans Day, where I saw on TV, I heard in speeches, and I went to a, a memorial where people said, we will never forget, we will honor your service for all time. So this is definitely in that groove of making sure that this magnificent memorial and its surround, which Champa designed himself in 1941. And the terraces and the balustrades are in very, very sad shape. It was brought to our attention that we did not include a preservation study in this. So I went to contact Daedalus Incorporated. Conserving art is an art in itself is their motto. Josh Crane, their principal, is located in Watertown, and they do a lot of work for Mount Auburn, and they are also doing work for Oak Grove Cemetery, so their credentials are impeccable. He said in an email to me that this is a wonderful and important memorial that should be preserved. On November 5th, he said, I can give you half an hour. So I said, great, and we met, and he spent a lot of time looking at the surrounds, the whole approach, and he said to do a complete preservation study and survey, he uh, could only give me an estimate, he said this would have to be worked out, would cost between 20 and 25 grand. And then he said he would like to participate in case this has to go out to bid. He didn't want to just do with, you know, give you this quote and then be forbidden right. to participate. Then it was brought to our attention that we needed to have handicapped accessibility. And if you're familiar with the monument, it's like a gazillion stairs <laughs> that go up to the statue. And that's, forget that, it's not gonna happen. There is access from the cemetery proper into the back of the monument with a really scuzzy road. So, <laughs> I mean, not to make judgments or anything. Uh, I've approached Medford Engineering and Survey. Charles, call me Chuck, Veneziano, principal. They're on Hall Street. They're Medford people. They have, the, I said to him, you have your family plot there. I checked. And he said, yes. <laughs> so I have an interest in this place. So he said, I can't come out. I've got deadlines coming up this week. Can you bring me some pictures? I brought him pictures. And he said, um, he said, that's really terrible. I said, that's right. So this is what we need you to do in particular, and there may be other site problems that we need you to look at. Uh, industry standards indicate that this survey would cost between three and five grand. 
he wasn't able to give us a quote right because he said I haven't stepped foot in that section I don't want to be quoting things but that's our industry standard so we're trying to have due diligence here and we've got uh, preservation specialists looking at it and we have Chuck call me Chuck Veneziano <laughs> and his team and they're certainly great people so we progressed what you have to ask thank you questions if I could start, just because I've been speaking with Dee um, over the past three weeks after we, um, this board met the last time, um, we've realized that this is, there are a couple pieces missing here. This is, this is really a two-phase project. There's going to be a lot of planning involved, which will then inform what the construction is. Because right now, it seems like the scope is a little bit bigger than what you originally thought, because the... ADA access from the cemetery means that there'll be some landscape architect involved, which just we're, you and I are still working on finding that person. You have a really great person for the monument restoration now, which I think is a, that's a. Um, the, whole, the whole area. Yes. Um, but we're also talking about getting uh, accessible access to the platform itself, which is, we didn't talk about it originally, which is important because that just means taking in a very non-visible, less visible area, taking three steps and turning them into a, a one to 20 ramp. That means anyone in a wheelchair can come right in from Oak Grove, probably have some signage because we want people to find it, obviously, and then have a nice accessible path right up to a restored monument that, that you both obviously are very fond of and proud of. And we, I couldn't agree more. It's a really important piece um, of Medford's history to bring back and make it something we're proud of. That rather than something that's forgotten. So I think, I think you're, you've made some great progress over the last three weeks. We have a few more pieces to go, but I think we're talking about a, it feels like about a $50,000 planning grant money is roughly plus or minus. And then whatever that cost is would really is a phase two. And that, that is to be determined because there's a, it's a lot, it's a little bit bigger than I think you originally thought. Yes, definitely. You know, so the 200000 you came up with is a number which you detailed, and but we, we don't know until we actually get all the components, you know, an actual survey that shows about grades, a ADA surface, and change to the monument, and then all the restoration of the monument itself. Those are the three components, and I think you've got a lot of them now. We need a little bit more time, but I think we're, I think we're getting close, and I think we can come up with a number that is a reasonable number for this first piece of planning, you know, yes. and then we can talk about what, you know, what the rest of it is, but we... We need that to do the rest, I think, is where we stand. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would. Okay. And there's personal qualities involved, too. Uh, uh, Steve, Steve Brogan, who's the superintendent there, um, he said, oh, my great uncle fell in World War I, and his name is on the monument. Wow. So we went out and looked at that. So there's this constant history is connecting people from the past with the present. They are our civic ancestors, their family, they're part of our family tree. And they deserve to be honored so that we can pass on this monument to the next generation. Because when you bring a kid, I brought a kid up there, a 10-year-old neighbor, and I said to him, okay, what do you think? And he said, oh, graves, huh? <laughs> I said, yeah. What do you think of the monument? These are guys who fell in the war or they c survived, came back home, and some women too, and then lived their days out in Medford. 
and he, and he took a look at the monument. I said, what do you have to say about that? He said, I don't have anything to say. I said, come on. So he did this. <laughs> he mimicked the monument. And I said, what does that mean to you? This guy likes those guys. I said, right. And he's 10. Mm -hmm. So I figure we should pass that on and make that concept complete for ourselves and for the next generation. Thank you. Um, to add on to Doug's question, uh, or Doug's comment about looking at a planning grant for this year, did, had, has, has there been determined either by the, um, the consultant who you just had look at it or by um, someone else that you've had look at it that there are urgent needs to stabilize the monument as quickly as possible that, that can't wait for a, a, a construction grant down the line? No, I mean, we could just continue to let it rot. It's been 80 years, so it's not like it's going to fall down the next five minutes. Um, the people who did the write-up that everybody has a um, detailed report is a professional mason. This entire structure is stone. So uh, yeah, it's, I don't think that it's going to – what specifically, besides the trip and fall hazards and people using it, do you mean like is the monument itself going to collapse? Exactly. No, no. Okay. In fact um, – Josh Crane, when he looked at it, uh, he said something has been done to this the last 15, 20 years or so. There's been some preservation. So I, I combed through stuff in the cemetery office. Do they get a chance? There you go. <laughs> and share it. Hey, yeah, okay. Uh, and they came up with uh, Steve Brogan said, okay, there was a guy before my time, there was a guy who came out here in 2003. And he's a professional. He was a professional. He did our civil, he did our Spanish-American War monument recently, and so the monument per se, just the statue factor, is really in pretty good shape. And uh, Josh commented on that. He said that's really pretty good. There has been on the pillar, and on the great eagles that are there, there has been some prevention, but <clears throat> it does need to be attended to. But the statue itself is okay, it's not gonna go cracking or doing strange things. He said that's really still in pretty good shape because it was dealt with maybe 15 or so years ago. But it's, you know, we, we've gotta take a much deeper look at it. Okay. But as you can see, there is, you know, some problems coming along the base of the shaft. And then on the eagle's faces, there's some problems. The freezes at the top are in remarkably good shape but there's a question of the cracks on the pillar itself. Thank you. Any other questions? No, I, I mean, I, I think that we all agree that it's a, it's a great uh, project to come to CPA. I think we were just concerned about doing it right. Oh, sure. Oh, and thank you for pointing that out because uh, this Josh Crane uh, who came to look at it, where he's done so much at Mount Auburn and other places, he... Mm. <laughs> No, I this. Uh, he was, he, he really said, I can give you 45 minutes now instead of half an hour. So that was great. <laughs> and uh, so, and he, and I don't mean that as any slam, he was fantastic. And he said, but you know, I've got to get people out here, I've got to see what's really going on. And this is not the, t this would have to be the spring that I would be doing this. You know, we'd have to do a really 
good and close analysis because this is a one-time shot. You don't want to keep doing this kind of stuff. So he was, he was remarkable. So that, that analysis that he'd like to come out and do in the spring, that's the planning study that we're looking yes. at? Okay. Yes, yes, yeah. I'm sorry, yes, correct. Thank because you. this time of year, of course, is not mm -hmm. conducive to that type of work, but yes. He said, we'll have to come out here, spend some quality time, and really get an analysis of the terraces, I call them, uh, because this is quite massive. You see it from, it's right as you round the corner at Playstead Road, mm -hmm. it's the best hidden in sight type of monument. You know, you have this enormous stairs, and there, the, there he is, standing there at the top. And you think, oh, I don't even know what that is. And you go whipping around. Does this monument get any attention? Yes, it does. Because uh, both um, Memorial Day and other days I've checked. Oh, he also said those, the actual, the soldiers' uh, stones have to be cleaned because that will look terrible if you have everything here in good shape and you have the grave sites with stained monuments. Oh, that is certainly something to consider. When I've gone there many times during the year, people leave flowers. I've seen little, you know, the funny little funky stuff that you find that people remember somebody by. There it is. So these, this whole area. Okay. <laughs> this whole area is not forgotten. People come and think and meditate. And what, and it's remarkable. There's a, there's a nurse who's buried there. There are, you know, different people from Medford, uh, where they, you know, I saw an address that somebody put down beside a stone. I, I didn't want to disturb it, but people come and use that spot, and they should. It's stunning. And as you watch, your eyes are watching the traffic on Playstead, it's not the time to look up there, but please go and visit when you have a chance. It's a remarkable monument. Thank you. I'd say about uh, 100 people go there just on Memorial Day alone in the weeks leading up to the uh, American Legion Post 45 ensures that we mark all 8,700 graves in Oak Grove. They use that as the staging point. So uh, back to my safety concerns about people maneuvering through that area on unseated pavers and corroding, you know, safety fixtures and stairs. It's, it's my concern. Yeah. Okay. Um, anything further? Anything else? Good. Thank you. Thank, Thank you very, very much. much. Thank Thanks. you. Beautiful. All right. So uh, another moment for transition, and our final applicant for this evening is the Mystic River Bend Community Gardens. Go ahead. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Fred Lasky. I live at 55 Summit Road uh, here in Medford, and with me is Brian Manta. Uh, who's, we're both gardeners at the Mystic River, uh, River Bend Garden, and we're here today to talk in favor of an application that we put in regarding the fencing around the community garden. And, and I'd like to offer some historic reference so you understand some of the history of the garden, and then Mr. Manta will talk about the, the proposal itself. Some 20 years ago, when the, the new schools were being built here in the city, uh, the, there was a concept that there should be a community garden down there, uh, between the two new schools and the city carved out a parcel of land uh, for the community garden to be located and they erected a fence and a group of volunteers then came together and created an association uh, that have self-managed that 
that community garden over the years uh, in, a, in a seamless fashion. It, it's worked and it's worked well. Uh, they receive grants from Tufts University for the construction of the shed and the pergola. Uh, the countless hours of volunteer work and also financial uh, support to put in all the various pieces to it to make it the garden it is today. Uh, there is one flaw, however, in the garden, and that is that the fence that was put in is about a three-foot fence that many people can just step over and, and get into the garden. So our proposal here today is to ask the committee to consider uh, using community preservation funds to enhance the fence, to make it taller. The average community garden is a five to six foot fence, and also to put in um, security locks uh, that are easier for the folks to use to get in and out. And, and the issue that arises out of the fence being too low are, are several in nature. Uh, one is one of security. Uh, there have been incidents where our uh, gardeners, particularly female gardeners, have gone after work to work on the garden and, and uh, at dusk approaches and they have been uh, harassed, uh, lewd comments made to them over the fence uh, by various individuals, the police were involved on, on at least one of the occasions. Um, there is also, they, people go in there and uh, use it, frankly, to drink beer and to hang out because they can do it out of sight. And, and um, there have been times when they put dogs in there and on an annual basis there is substantial pilferage that goes on. You know, people start gardening in the end of March, early April, and they work hard all through the spring and into the summer and then to come back someday and find that most of the, the particular crop is gone in August or taken by somebody. So the, the hope is that we can uh, have you take a look at the proposal. We believe it's very, very modest in, in nature in the financial side of it. It's a small application and it has a very large, Mr. Mantle talked about, very large contribution from the members of the garden itself to bring that cost down even lower. So with that, Brian, you want Thank you, Fred. Uh, Brian Mantar, I live at 74 New Bern Ave. Um, it's nice to see that there's a lot of Riverbend community garden or Riverbend projects up this evening, <laughs> um, ours being one of them. Um, so to give you a little idea of where our garden is located, um, on the preceding uh, PDF, yeah, thank you, um, gives you kind of like a general locus of the area. So you've got 93 um, to your kind of like to your west of it, Medford Square to the northwest, um, Wegmans, a great grocery store to your to your south and it's butted in, if you go to the next screen please it's butted in between the McGlynn and uh, Madeline Duggar Andrews school um, and then in the the lower area it's zoomed in even further to kind of give you an idea of where it is in relation to the to those two um, spots so one of our um, one of the presenters earlier was talking about the windmill the windmill is just off below the, the red line right there. Um, if you could go to the next slide, please. So how does this, how does our application meet the um, Community Preservation Act kind of guidelines? Well, one, it falls under recreational land um, as being a community garden. And then um, also we're, we want to use these funds for preservation to maintain the security of our site um, as well as um, rehabilitation as being as a, like a capital improvement to our to our garden. Um, our garden is self-managed and self-funded and self-run and every year we continue to do small modest improvements to the garden with like stone dust or wood chips but this type of project has been kind of outside of our 
annual budget or scope to do something like this type of work. Um, our garden is comprised, uh, if you wouldn't mind going to the next slide, please. So our garden is combined, has 37 um, individual people that are members, but that extends to their families and friends that come and use the garden, as well as um, uh, there's a relationship between the McGlynn School. I think it's a first or third grade class uh, uses that uh, one of the plots as well. Um, there's 33, 35 plots, um, as you can see here. Um, our, our the, the scope of our work is outlined by the red red line. That's our perimeter fence. It's about 465 feet in length. Um, there are 45 line posts, which are the posts kind of along the, the line. And then 14 terminal posts, those are a little beefier, and those are at all the corners. Um, if you wouldn't mind going to the next slide. So um, Fred had talked about um, keyless locks. This is an example of what a keyless lock looks like. This has a huge uh, advantage to what we currently have, which are padlocks, which are, although they work pretty well, they're very difficult to actually fix together. And um, members in our garden range from, or people that use our garden range from under 10 to upwards of 90 years old. I feel like I'm in that middle range age group, and <laughs> even I have difficulty of fixing the lock sometimes. Uh, in addition, locks are uh, not actually affixed, like people forget to put them at, on, on the fence at the end of the day. So this will always be there, it locks behind you, um, <clears throat> you, can e you, you can get in and out by just using the hand, um, you can get out by just pushing down the handle, you access it by just pressing the, the, the touch buttons. You go to the next next slide. So this is an example, a detail of what the, pro the fence would look like. So the approach to raising the fence, we want to try to limit, um, be as cost effective as possible, as well as using as little new materials. So um, what we're going to do is raise the terminal and line posts by um, welding on an, an extension. We're going to add another three foot width of fabric on top of that line post. So we're going to basically just add another three feet to the existing fence. Um, we feel that that is the most cost-effective um, and um, sustainable way of increasing the fence height. Uh, unfortunately, though, with the gates, it, it's a little, since it's a, a moving piece, it's a little more complicated. So we're going to completely replace those gates with brand new six-foot tall gates. If you could go to the next slide, please. So um, to talk about finances here, we received several quotes um, for doing the fence work. The, the most advantageous quote was from Carly Fence in the amount of $8,800. Um, Artery Lock uh, provided the quote for the keyless lock system. Um, that came in at almost two grand. So the total cost for this project is $10,663.58. Um, and listen to the other presentations, I failed to put a contingency in this. Um, <laughs> so uh, might have to, if, if this project gets approved, we might have to talk a little bit about a contingency because these quotes are on the older side, although I know they'll honor them. There may be some changes in material cost or whatever. Um, <clears throat> and then the Riverbend Community Garden put together a fundraiser in which um, we raised $2,600, which I think is pretty pretty impressive. Uh, that comes to be about 20, almost 25% of the total project cost we were able to um, raise ourselves. So I think that shows that the members um, value our garden and we're willing to invest in into our into our garden as well as um, uh, 
yeah, put basically put our money where our mouth is. Um, so the total amount minus the contingency that we'd be requesting would be $8,063.58. Um, so uh, with, uh, I'll open up the f to any questions. Thank you. Questions? I just wanted to say that you know, we've heard a lot of applications, and this one was very well put together. Yeah. I think that it answered a lot of questions that I'm always looking for is like, how does this tie to the CPA plan? You know, how does this, you know, meet the requirements? You did due diligence on the budget. You went out and got some of your own skin in the game. I mean, this was just a really well put together application. Thank you. Just, uh, just a question about the, like the, the fabric that's going to be three mm -hmm. to six feet high. Yes. Is that, what is that going to look like? And is that going to you're going to be able to see through it. Obviously, you don't want too much shade on the garden. Absolutely. Yeah, so the, the fabric is going to be the same type that already exists. So it's going to be a black PVC-coated fabric. Um, and the gauge, I believe, is going to be the same gauge. So gauge being the thickness. So it hopefully, the only thing you'll see is probably just that seam of overlap where the lower part of the, the new fence over um, overlaps with the existing fence. So. It, the concept is is to make it um, look exactly the same as what's there, except six feet higher. Uh, yeah, three feet higher total, six feet. Will you be able to see the garden from the outside? Um, yes, you will be able to see it. It will be a chain link fence. Yeah. It's the chain link fence with black uh, PVC on top of it. Oh yeah, there won't be any blinders. Like I, I think I know what you're asking. So sometimes people put like a plastic blinders through the PVC fence or something to make it more uh, difficult to see through. Um, that won't be the case. It'll be just a regular PVC fence. Um, I see. You'll be you'll be able to see through it. I think the the, the aesthetics is a trade-off to mm -hmm. the advantages of having having the higher fence. You know, obviously, it's, if it was the, wasn't there, the aesthetics are probably better. But it's a trade-off. In light of some of the issues that have been going on over the years down there. I know there's water down at the site. Is there any short-term lighting that you can use while people are leaving or getting there in the morning? Will, well, we, we did try to put up a... Um, um, More for security camera, purposes. A fake camera um, <laughs> that always had a light on it. And we put signs in various languages, a very diverse neighborhood. So we put signs in different, in different languages so people could understand that community garden that doesn't mean you can just kind of walk in and take whatever you want. So we've tried and we've talked to city, the city has replaced the lights, the lights that are on the street. Uh, so there is some light that shines on the gate. But again, what happens is in the, the warm summer days with the late sun, people go down after work, they're working away, they lose track, but next thing you know, they're in the dark. And, and uh, you know, because there's that period of time from June, where a lot of times so you that's when people go down, is, is after supper. So. That's part of the issue. True. Thank you. Go ahead. Um, this is a great project. The, the community gardens movement in Medford has been really positive in the last 10 years. I mean, it's, it's, it really is a community in, in many ways. And so I think this is a, a really positive project to, to, to uh, improve. Um, I would not worry about the the dollars, I think you should probably ask for a few more dollars, and I think we're open to that, just because, you know, uh, contingency and other things, um, you know, your your number is so reasonable, it's the, 
your number is a contingency for most of the products we reviewed tonight. <laughs> scale, so it's like you're really, you know, it's the, we like small products because they're we can fund more of them, and so this is a, a really good one. And, and bringing money to the table is really, I think, says a lot as well. So thank you for that. If I could, I, I should have mentioned I serve on the the city's uh, community garden commission, and they have encouraged us to pursue the grant. I probably should have asked them for something in writing, but they are encouraged and are supportive of this as well. If I might ask, um, in the time that this community garden has been in, in place, how often do you see turnover in the plots? And is there a waiting list for people to have plots in this garden? It varies from year to year. Some years we'll, we won't lose anybody. Other years we might lose two or three or four or five, depending on it. Sometimes, especially newer gardeners, they don't realize how much work it is. So they get on the list and then they get down there and they realize there's weeding and all that stuff. and. And, and so it, it, it depends, anywhere from, you know, sometimes 10% turnover, which would be three or four people, or, you know, sometimes it's one or two. It depends. And how do people um, get to be on the waiting list for the community <laughs> garden? There is a, there is a, a list. Um, there's a, a list on the back of the door uh, that, that has all the people who are on the waiting list. I don't know if it's on the web page or not, and it was going to be put on the web page. But it's basically a published list that everyone sees. Yeah, if I, if I may expound on that a little bit more, there's a web page that you can go and apply to, you know, become a member. And then if you, um, once you, you get put at the bottom of the list, as people leave the garden, you continue to make your way up. Um, speaking from personal experience, I think it took me five years to get into the garden. Um, so uh, they, they do do a good job. The board members do do a good job of maintaining that list, making sure that people... <clears throat> um, constantly are getting updated and moved along um, to join to join but um, the metrics are you know you once you have your plot you could theoretically have it for 30 years if you enjoy it that much um, there's no time limit on when people can have to leave thank you any other questions any questions all right well thank you very much thank you that, that, that concludes our presentations for this evening thank you Thank you. Is there a motion to adjourn? Motion to adjourn. I'll second. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Thank you. Are you sure? Yes. I'll recycle it. <laughs>